Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to you. My name is David. I'm the site leader of our Exeter location. I'm on the teaching team, and I find it a privilege to be with you on screen today, wherever you're watching from. I find it just fascinating that as a church, we continue to grow. We continue to expand in other sites and other towns, and opening up spaces and gathering spaces for people to find community is really who our heart is, and it's just incredible to see many people walk through doors at Vital Point Church and come to a realization that they are desiring love, they want grace, they need forgiveness, and we are broken, but we find ourselves being put back together in Christ. So no matter where you are at right now, if you are in one of our sites, sitting in a room together, maybe online, maybe on vacation, we're really believing that this moment, this series, this conversation will speak life and breath into your lungs today. I find it amazing today and I get excited about Sundays like uh, ones that we are in right now because we kick off, we launch, we propel ourselves into a brand new series called Jesus Said What? Yep, that's the series name, Jesus Said What? Now you have to get into the brains of the teaching team for a moment because we didn't want to be total like clickbaiters and Instagram influencers and just try to sucker you into a moment, Uh, but this title lands for the moment that we live in so well, so well. So let me tell you why, because this series we're kicking off today is going to help some of us understand that Jesus said some absurd but beautiful and influential things through his teachings when he taught to the crowds, to his disciples, to the world. I say absurd because they rub culture the wrong way when the world hears them. Like when the world sees people walking out in the teachings of Jesus, when they hear the teachings of Jesus, it's like the the hair on the back of the neck of culture stands up and they get the heebie-jeebies. They just feel wrong because it's so crazy what Jesus says sometimes to culture. And where we find these teachings is in the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, what I'd love for us to do together today is not dissect, not exegete or examine any particular text from the Sermon on the Mount. What I want to do today is give us the path in which we're going to take over the next several weeks with one another as we gather. I want to spark some thoughts on why Jesus said what he said. You may say through the series, Jesus said what? Yes, we want to spark some thought on why he said what he said. We want to push and challenge what you've been building your life on. I want us to be a community of people where we don't settle for the status quo and a life of comfort because that's the complete opposite of what Jesus came to do and what he lived his life for. Where we come to a posture of holding Jesus' teachings above anything else. See, this series has the potential to radically expand and transform your life in Jesus' name. And that's our hope and prayer for you, for me, for all of us as we explore and grow here at Vital Point Church. And what I want to do as we jump into this series is pray over the series for our hearts, uh, for our regions. So would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and let's pray with one another. God, we come before you right now. 
And we may have different understandings of what you're doing in our life and in our world. But Father, we pray in this moment for this series. We're going to look at the teachings of your son, where he sat on a hillside, where he spoke to the crowds. And Father, I pray as we open up this series that our hearts will be aligned with what he was saying. May we wrestle hard. May our hearts be expanded. May we grow in relationship with Jesus, but not just Jesus, but with the communities that we live in. And as we live in these communities, I pray, Father, that the regions that we live in, would be reached because the transformational work of Jesus has been in our hearts and we would go out and reach the people that we rub shoulders with. So we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Okay, let's jump in to the Sermon on the Mount. The teachings of Jesus came from the Sermon on the Mount and you can find them in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. As the multitudes continued to flock to Jesus in this moment, he went up to a hillside and sat. It was kind of custom for rabbis in that day to sit as they taught because they would probably be very long-winded. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Matthew chapters 5 and 5 to 7 is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus delivered this teaching on a mountainside. Now, though the mountain's exact location is unknown for us in the moments that it's captured for us, but is undoubtedly in uh, the area of Galilee and was apparently near the city of Capernaum on a place which is level, it says. And it makes sense that you can kind of narrow it down to this area because the Gospel of Luke actually makes reference to this moment in chapter 6 in his gospel talking about this moment that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. See, the sermon showed how a person who is in right relationship with God would conduct their life. While the passage must be understood in the light of the offering of the messianic kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, the sermon applies to apprentices of Jesus today for it demonstrates the standard of righteousness God demands for his people. It really does. The section of teaching is probably one of the most famous moments in the life of Jesus when it comes to teaching and preaching in his ministry. And what's fascinating is you don't have to have been born in the nursery of the church or Vital Point Kids to have heard or to know some of the teachings from Jesus. Our culture actually has adopted these teachings. Here are a few just as examples for you and I. Maybe we've heard before today. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6 verse 34 on the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And the golden rule, Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. The golden rule comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And this is just a tiny sample of what we're going to be looking at over the course of this series. But there is much more to the Sermon on the Mount than just jaw-dropping moments of truth or little sound bites and nuggets that he talks about. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most misunderstood messages that Jesus actually ever delivered as he lived his human life. We've got one group of people that actually say it's God's plan of salvation, that if we are ever to stand at the gates of heaven, the girly, uh, the, the girly, the, the, the pearly gates of heaven, we must obey these rules. Another group of people call it, it's the charter of world peace, and they beg God's creation to finally accept his ways of life. Still, a third group tell us that the Sermon on the Mount does not apply to today. 
but that it'll apply at some future, future time and events of life. But the main theme that you cannot argue about is that it is true righteousness. That's the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. See, the religious leaders of that day had an artificial external righteousness based on law. But the righteousness that Jesus described is a true and vital righteousness that begins internally in the heart of a human being. Where the Pharisees in this moment were concerned about the microscopic details, what you did externally. But they neglected the, ma- uh, the major matter of character of a human being. See, whatever the applications of the Sermon on the Mount are, uh, to world problems or world peace or to future events, it is certain that the Sermon on the Mount has definite applications for all of us today. No matter where you are at with life, God, and faith, and who Jesus is. Jesus gave this message, and what was taught on the Sermon on the Mount is repeated throughout the New Testament. Just read letter after letter after letter. It's for the church of today as well. Not just that moment or future events or what is going to happen in this world. It is for the church of today. See, some have proclaimed, and I've got to say with all of my heart and all of my being that I stand on this as well. That the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount can and should be the blueprint which you build your life on. See, it talks about money, it talks about jobs, it talks about emotions, how we view ourselves and others, purpose in life, who to listen to. But you might have noticed in our world right now and in our life that our world is placing so many blueprints in front of our eyes, right? All sorts of people, places, things in our world want us to subscribe, want us to grab, take their blueprint, and live our life and build our lives on their blueprint. Just look at Hollywood's blueprint. Look at the blueprints of politics, of social media, of the traditions that you and I live with. Look at the blueprints of some guru's masterclass on whatever. They all want you to subscribe to their their blueprint and build your life on that foundation of what they created for themselves. See, over the last few years, I've discovered something. Yes, there are many ways to build a blueprint, But as I've examined my own heart and I've had to sit in a chair as I write and study and discern my relationship with Jesus, but as as I also sit in rooms with other people as they pour their hearts out, I've noticed that our blueprints truly are connected to our experiences and our beliefs. Like the blueprints of where do we come from? Is there a God or is there thousands of gods, human beings? Where are we going when we die? Am I loved by others or am I hated? Whether you believe it or not, we are all using the manual to the blueprint of life that we have created for ourselves. And now many of us are discipling our families, our children, our parents, our inf- like we're influencing the pe- people in our lives this way. And I've become, I've, I've began to wonder, I should say, I've began to wonder Is this why people have such a hard time with a Sermon on the Mount and why it's so misunderstood? 
Because I want to ask you this question. Why is it so hard to sit under the teachings of Jesus? It's a, it's a crucial question and a vital question that you and I need to be asking when we sit in rooms like this and gather with one another. Because I'm convinced it's hard for Christians and non-Christians. And this last week, I've been leaning towards it's harder for Christians to sit under the teachings of Jesus because our world tells us to follow your own blueprint. That you should only make it yourself. Don't let anyone else influence you, but yourself. Make your own blueprint. See, our culture has began to reject the structures and systems in place because they don't have the best interest for you in life, they say. This is what our Western culture is doing right now. I don't know if you know this. If you kind of dissect our Western culture and our world right now and where we live, this is what it's doing right now in the time that we live in. It's training our minds and our hearts to think like this, where they say, don't look without, only look within. And when people groups, there's a problem with this, when people groups, families and individuals begin to think like this and live like this, this is how we look at our way of morality. It shapes the way we see ourselves morally in our world, but it also shapes us spiritually when they say, don't look without, look only from within. And I'll be the first one to tell you this. Okay, I'll confess it to you right now. It is so compelling to do this. It truly is. It really is. Look within. <laughs> Find the beauty and the wonder of who you are and what you are doing in life. It's so beautiful inside of your being. Only look within. Don't look out, word. Look within. It's compelling. It truly is. But we often fail to realize when you look within and inward for a very long time or a short time, you don't get very far. Because when we get to the depth of who we are and who we are becoming, there's tension. Hmm, right? We go, wow, ooh, it's, it's dark in there. It's, it, it's confusing inside of me. I'm full of like competing desires or conflicting feelings. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 in, in the Bible calls them disordered desires. It also says this, for the desires of the flesh, which is your inward self, the flesh, your brokenness, are against the spirit of God. The, words, the world's saying, look within. But the Bible's saying, ooh, from the desires of the flesh are against the spirit of God. And see, if we look at our feelings and desires for what we are and what we do, we're in trouble, friends. We are. Because we often don't know what to do. We come to the ends of ourselves. We often want to do the wrong things, right? And our human being states, we often want to do the wrong things in life. And when we build ourselves and our blueprints on those things of wrongdoings and the things that are against the things of God, they are the flimsy foundations and they don't create a healthy blueprint for you and myself in our lives. And we try to find the self-discovering identity. Timothy Keller talks to that idea of self-discovering identity. He says this, We do not get our identity simply from within. Rather, we receive some interpretive moral grid, lay it down over various feelings and impulses, and sift them through it. This grid helps us decide which feelings are me and should be expressed, and which are not and should not be. Despite protests to the contrary, we instinctively know our inner depth are, are, are insufficient to guiding us. And this is the big thing. We need more. We need some standard or rule from outside of us to help us sort out the warring impulses of our interior life. Hmm. 
See, many in our world right now, today, and many in the past, and many in the future, hopefully not, are crumbling and have crumbled because they're feeling the pressure of creating their own blueprint or map of life. I have to be completely honest. Human beings should never live with that pressure. They shouldn't. When you try to come up with it and create your own destiny, life, purpose, identity, and legacy, it becomes a burden. And I love how the artist and writer by the name of Elizabeth Gilbert said, it's like swallowing the sun. It's too big for man. I also have to be honest. For a time of my life, When I was in my late teens and early 20s, I'm about to turn 30 years old. I can't believe it. I can't wait. But I look back at my life in my late teens and early 20s. When I sat in guidance counselor rooms at schools, they would often say to me as I struggled through school and the most influential and formational years of my life, they say, look within. Find the roadmap, David. The path, the blueprint. Look within so you can find yourself and find your purpose of who you need to be and what you need to do. I'm so grateful that I found out quite quickly something really important. As a young man, it doesn't work. Looking within. It was like I was building a house on sand. And it kept being swept away and I would wonder why. Because of the emotions, this is what I was feeling and I noticed, it was because of the emotions, the feelings, the experiences I had in life kept me feeling like I was a a lost life jacket in the middle of the ocean, distant from shore, and hoping someone would just notice me and pick me up. And see, I think we have a hard time sitting under the teachings of Jesus because his blueprint says... Looking within towards the disordered desires is not the way to do life. It's not the blueprint that I I desire for you. Look upon the foundation on the one who sent me, Jesus said. God, the Father, the solid rock. Fix your eyes on the kingdom of heaven. So I want to ask you, what are you building your life on? What's the blueprint that you have? Where does it come from? Where is it leading you? And more importantly, how is it going? As a human being, we need to ask these questions. What am I building my life on? Where did it come from? Where is it leading me? And and God, I don't know. It's not even going well. Why? But we also need to ask ourselves this question. If this is the most famous teachings the world has ever received from the mouth of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, why look and use the Sermon on the Mount as a blueprint? Let me explain it like this. For thousands of years, this is why I believe we need to use it as a blueprint. For thousands of years, Jesus' teachings have expanded and transformed millions of people's lives. Millions upon millions of people's souls. His teachings take us further into becoming human. We need to be reminded every once in a while that we are not just beings. We are human becomings because God desires us to become, to be shaped, to be molded, to be formed into the things that reflect him. His teachings, Jesus, exposes also the disordered desires and aligns our minds, our bodies, and our souls and our hearts to the things of the kingdom of heaven. 
where they take us to a spiritual maturity, and I love this, and they also propel us into human flourishing that aligns us to have a fruitful and healthy healthy relationship with God, and then it outflows and pours into relationships with others. This should be the basis of why we trust the blueprint, because it shapes us spiritually, maturity, where we flourish in relationship with God, ourselves, and the people around us. Who wouldn't want to believe in words that actually breathe life into your being and way that you walk in this world? But let's apply some pressure. I, I, I'm a, I grew up and I loved applying pressure, healthy pressure, I should say now, and push back on things because healthy pushback actually helps us see if things have legs or not. And let's see if Jesus has some legs on the, on the ground that he stands on. Let's ask the question, what's j- different about Jesus? What is different about him? Because many have claimed to be the Messiah, right? Speak on the behalf of God and be the mouthpiece to God's people. What is different about Jesus? Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 to 29. It's the ending of the God, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds, there was thousands of people, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had what? Authority and not as their scribes. They were thinking about the religious leaders. He had an authority to him. Matthew does something genius here for us to capture why Jesus is different. He just doesn't say, ha, look, I tell you, this is what I'm talking about. He first captures and mentions that they were astonished by the authority of his teaching. But if you get time to read the rest of the story, you see that Jesus then goes on to display the power and the authority of the teaching given to him from God in his life. He, from this moment, goes and cleanses a leper, someone sick, heals a paralyzed man, restores the disciple Peter's mother-in-law, like amen to that. That's a miracle in itself. We've got a mother-in-law, right? We need miracles in those relationships sometimes. I'm just poking fun. I love my mother-in-law. She is great. I love her so much. But he restores the disciple Peter's mother-in-law. He calms a storm by just speaking to it, delivers two men who were demonized in caves. And that's just the power and the authority of Jesus captured in chapter 8. You still have the rest of the gospel. But Matthew captures one, two, three, four, five moments of Jesus displaying the power and the authority of teaching. The evidence of Jesus' blueprint didn't just come from the mouth of a teacher. It came from the God of heaven in the flesh. Jesus' blueprint comes from the author of all things on earth and in heaven. And this is why Jesus is so different for us because he didn't just teach. He walks in that teaching and reveals the kingdom of heaven through the way he lived his life. And I had to ask myself this week, What do I do with this news? What do you and I do with this news, right? Here's what we do. This is what I landed on. You take his words as the foundation to life. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And here's the big thing. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. 
Jesus doesn't want just us to pick up our Bibles and read and hear his words. He wants us to do what he says because they build a secure foundation if you obey to his ways of life in God and in faith. But here's the reality check for all of us today. We don't always follow or obey, right? Many of us say we want, uh, many of us say that he's just a good teacher of morals. Some say it's just good thoughts here and there, but we don't have to take them completely seriously because they aren't meant for today. Like we have a group of people that say this is not for right now in the home that we call earth right now. I'm here to tell you today, if you see Jesus as just a good moral teacher of morals, please look again. Please look again. He is much more than that. Yes, he is flesh and blood, but he is God in the flesh. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was God, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word here is Jesus grounding us in the truth that he's not just some religious fanatic gathering crowds and kind of just speaking on good morals and just being a good teacher and just being an entertainer. No, it also says a few verses later, it says the Word is Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The words that he speaks. Heaven came down to give us the blueprint of eternal life. If you ever have questions about what you should do, how you should live, what the world needs to look like as you walk through it, you have the word from heaven. And let me tell you, that is carrying way more weight than any social media influencer's masterclass that you've subscribed to. Many of us have been following the world and not following the teachings of Jesus. Let me say that again. Many of us have been following the world and not following the teachings of Jesus. It's so tragic in some cases that we've become so blind to the rule of life we are living that we've created for ourselves where our blueprints are influencing the way we live. Want some evidence? Just look at the texts that you and I send. The emails, the Slack threads that happen at work, the algorithm that social media pushes your way. They know what you watch. They know what you want to see. The way we talk about people we don't enjoy when they're not in the room. And then there's the evidence of the world where it says the Bible isn't for today, right? This time and place, the cultural moment, the dusty old book or where people go, the word of God. It is old school, they say. You don't have to worry about purity and sex and marriage between man and a woman. Don't worry about helping the poor, serving and loving your enemies. You can definitely serve God and money at the same. Don't take that old school book seriously now. Find everything from within yourself. But here's a thought, and I pray and hope that you hold on to this thought for the remainder of this series. What if you and I took Jesus seriously? What if you shut down the noise and the clanging symbols of culture and took the words of Jesus seriously for the remainder weeks of this series? Here's what I believe would happen to you and I. If we took Jesus seriously, it would ruin our lives on the way to restoring our lives and relationships. It would then also begin, uh, we would begin to know true grace because we can acknowledge that we fall short and need grace. And finally, if we took Jesus seriously, we'd realize that this is a lifeline from himself, his words, his way of life. 
See, Jesus lived these words out that he spoke. He is the living, breathing, walking evidence that this is the way to life. This blueprint leads to life and life to the full only through him and his words. See, Jesus lived these out. He loved his enemies. He sat with the hated and the poor. He turned the other cheek when he was mocked and spit on. He ushered people into the presence and truth of God. He built his life on the one true rock and said, Father, your will be done, not mine. He didn't just speak and teach. He lived the way. The Sermon on the Mount allows us to see that It shatters any chance of being self-righteous. It exposes our need of saving and leads us only to Jesus. And by his spirit, he gives us the strength to live this all out. A new life, a new identity, life in our lungs, the breath of God, the power, the presence, the peace of God in us through this new life. Because it's not about earning or striving Checking things off the list or off the box of things to do. It's about responding to God's extended hand saying, I see your extended hand, your lifeline. I need your way of life. Not my inward self. It is broken. It is beaten. It is bruised. I need your ways. They are better than my own. See, as we wrap up week one and head into the rest of our series that is called Jesus Said What? I encourage you to read through the Sermon on the Mount once a day leading up to week two. I was about to say read it through every day and that would have been like crazy amounts. And if you want to do that, go ahead. But just read it once a day leading up to week two. You'll read it seven times and it should become a little more familiar for you each day. And I'm not asking you to become a scholarly theologian or get your PhD in this stuff. No, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just asking you to read and become familiar with it as we open it up. I've been doing this in my own life, getting ready for this series, and it's been so fruitful. Yes, I have lots of thoughts and questions and ideas and opinions, even convictions. And you will as well as you read through. But what I want you to do as you do that is jot them down as they come to mind and come to heart. Pray over them and allow God to reveal his truth to you. And beware, I'm not asking you to put your feelings into the thoughts and the questions and the doubts. Don't put your feelings in. It can get dangerous when you do that. What I'm asking you to do is seek God's truth as you pray what he intended for these teachings. That is a healthy way to do scripture and be in scripture. Ask for God's truth. Not put your feelings and yourself in it. Put God's truth into it and then receive what he has for you. That's the challenge. Once a day. Up to week two, that'd be seven times. See, as we've identified today, there seems to be so many blueprints floating around out there. And it seems like many of us are trying to grasp and grab a few blueprints and make them into one. And some of us are feeling like we've got nothing in our hands and we're just the map blowing in the wind. Our hope as a church for the next several weeks is for us to come see Taste and hear from the one who opened his mouth and spoke a blueprint into existence saying, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all will be added. Can you do this? Will you do this? And will you invite more people into this moment to hear of the blueprint that Jesus gives us to life? Peace and grace be with you.
Amen.